Action! Welcome to Torn Stumps, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which could be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're going to carry on our deep dive into Quentin Tarantino by watching, <laughs> <laughs> by watching his fifth film, Death Proof. Joshua. I knew you were going to get me to introduce this one. I mean, it's really easy to introduce. Oh. Some girls do some talking. Kurt Russell does some driving, and then they end the fucking movie. There you go, you've done it. This was part of the grindhouse experience that Quentin Tarantino was going to do with Robert Rodriguez. The idea was Quentin Tarantino would do a movie made in the same style as kind of grindhouse cinema. Robert Rodriguez would do the same, and then in between, they would show some trailers. So it was going to be like a roadshow uh, thing, or or even just just shown as, as, a, as a one piece. You get yeah. two movies... And then some trailers in between. But it never really ever got screened in that way. I don't no. ever remember it coming out like that. It always just ended up being two very separate movies. I think because Grindhouse is such a specifically American phenomenon. The kind of the flea pit 1970s cinemas where you'd go to watch girls in low tops and high shorts. Yeah. Um, just beat each other up or you know, get harassed by the cops. Well, it's just where genre cinema used to live before companies like New Line made it acceptable into the mainstream. Yeah, but but that Grindhouse thing, I don't think really came to the UK. So I think it it did. You had the Scala cinema. Prince Charles cinema used to be a Grindhouse cinema. Mm. It was just a grotty little cinema that wasn't necessarily showing the new releases. They were really interested in the... The independent films, the little grotty films, but it, it it kind of, I guess the the word grindhouse now has become to be known as synonymous with a grotty looking film, yeah. you know, scratched up thirty five millimeter, missing reels, cheap, cheap missing um, sound bites, so you get pops and scratches, and I genuinely love seeing films in 35 millimeter now and 70 millimeter and the older the print the better because it Mm. reminds me of when i went to see films as a kid and it would be the new release but it was in 35 millimeter so i'd be seeing things like suburban commando and mr nanny or three (laughs) men and a little lady or or um jurassic park yeah and it would be in 35 millimeter and inevitably there would be some scratches on the screen yeah. And there would be sound pops. The sound would drop out for a second or two before coming back up. And there would be the cigarette burn that denoted when the reels needed needed to be changed. Yeah. So I really like that. I went to see Alien a year or two ago, maybe three, um, <laughs> in 70 millimeter. And that print that they were showing at Picturehouse Cinema on Shaftesbury Avenue in London dated back to the 70s mm. it was so scratched up and they apologized they said we're really sorry half of it is warm so from the top left hand corner to pretty much halfway into the screen the film had degraded and and warmed up so it was like this orange glow Whoa. i had no problem with that i yeah. loved that it's the experience that's... yeah it, it's become an experience now that yeah. everything is so clean 
with so 4K perfect. and so perfect. Yeah, it's almost painful to look at how perfect digital can be sometimes. Yeah, especially when you're watching those older films. You know, I've seen some Hitchcock in in perfect crystal clear, mm. you know, uh, 1080, and they don't hold up as much. You don't get that same warm, nostalgic feeling, I don't think. Mm. Like, I saw Lawrence of Arabia at the Prince Charles Cinema a few years ago. What was he doing there? I know. Was he he just queuing up? He was on his bike. Was he walking from one end (laughs) back to the other? He was a mirage. He was just a flickering (laughs) mirage in the desert. (laughs) And that was the original 70mm print. And it was gorgeous. Yeah. It looked so great. Even films that I've seen before, if I see that there's a film viewing, I will go see it. I went to see Clockwork. I've seen Clockwork Orange countless times. And I'd seen it on DVD and then saw that it was going to be playing in 35mm. So a week or two later, I was watching it again, but in 35mm. It's just something mm. really special about it. Yeah, and that's exactly what Tarantino and Rod- Robert Rodriguez were yeah. trying to capture with their grindhouse double bill thing. Yes, but whereas Quentin Tarantino shot Death Proof on film and then... Um, scratched it up. Scratched the actual film... Mm. Rodriguez shot his digital and everything is a uh, a digital effect. Oh, Planet right. Terror is digital completely. Which is why it looks totally different to Tarantino's. But also, this Death Proof was made as a 70s film. Mm. Rodriguez specifically made his as an 80s. Yeah. So it's very John Carpenter, uh, Escape from New York. Whereas this is very much like Vanishing Point and that kind of yeah, end of the grindhouse. Which house. is name checked. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they share a cast, and a lot of them are in, you know, both films. Yes. Not um, always as the same character, though. No. Like, um, your favourite lady, what's her name? Oh, Rose McGowan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel so sorry for Rose McGowan. Because she... She's so brave. This... She's well, so brave. Yeah, this she is. <laughs> when she made this, this is when she was at the real, the real, like, down point of her personal life. But her career was at its highest peak. Yeah, she was. She was, had a starring role on Charmed, the TV series. And I am the sun. <laughs> My boyfriend at the time used to put it on. Come and watch Charmed. Come, he knows I hated it. Come and watch Charmed. And I was just, I can't listen to that song anymore. I always either, either the, the theme tune or the Smiths original. I am the, just like everybody else. Did, I can't did, bear did, it. Did, 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 did. But she wasn't happy on that TV show Mm. um, because her character was terribly written and she just got bored. And she developed all these very unusual, it's become almost legendary. She's developed all these very strange kind of tics in her acting, in her bodily tics in her acting that were really notable and charmed. And she brings them over to Death Proof. And she's never, I mean, I've 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 never noticed them. Okay. Well, maybe because I've never seen what she was before. So, Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> in, in Death Proof, she's essentially playing the exact same character as she plays in Charmed. And also, she had the whole Weinstein thing. Einstein? So, Weinstein. Oh, Harry Weinstein. Yeah. Right. She Didn't she sue him after Scream for sexual harassment? Was like, she in Scream? She was in the first Scream. She's great in it. She gets stuck in the garage door. She's Tatum, the best That's friend. That's her. Yeah. I haven't seen Scream in a very long oh. time. I know before you say we're not doing it on the podcast. I love it. I love it. <laughs> There's no way I could possibly sit through another slasher. It's, so, it's not Apart a slasher. Apart from this one. Scream is not a slasher film. Sorry. Um, it's okay. No need to apologize. She... Wes Craven can't hear you. He did. So she... Yeah, she was pretty down when she was making this film. And yes. it really shows. And I feel really bad for her. Well, I, I don't know if it does show. I think he does. genuinely think... Because she's so awkward. Like when she walks back across the car park and he's like, I can still hear you. She looks so... I don't want to be here. Like she looks so awkward. But is that you 
Is that you being subjective and putting what you now know about her situation into that scene? Well, yes, because I know exactly how she felt right. she was making because the film. I, I, oh, why is that? Does she detail that in Brave? She talks about it in her book, yeah. Right. Because I think she is brilliant in this film, even okay. though she's, it's a cameo, because she's actually got a starring role in Planet Terror, which she smashes. She's brilliant she's in that so film. She's so good in Planet the, Terror. The, she loses a leg, and she's got the machine gun, and it looks so fucking cool. And the way yeah. she like, almost flies, flies out the sky, because yeah. in Rob Regis's head, no one has proper gravity and weight. But, yeah. you know... I mean, I think clearly we both like Planet Terror better. <laughs> yeah, I think it's become quite obvious. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, back in the day when this came out, I used to go, I saw it once and then didn't like it, but it, in the moment. But then when I thought about it afterwards, I kept thinking it was better than it was. So I kept mm. getting fooled into go and see it again or watch it again. And at one point I just had to, stop myself from seeing it from watching it because i just kept getting fooled it was such a weird head fuck i would always remember it being better than it was it's like an addict it's like my next hit is gonna be so good well potentially but also it's such a brilliant idea yeah that's and it's such an aesthetic that i like and it's something i feel very strongly towards because of the analog era that we both grew up in but when you actually watch it it is a disappointment but this time, hmm. now it's either because I'm in such a Quentin Tarantino zone because we've been watching them in order, but I found myself liking it more than I've ever, ever liked it. And that has stayed with me. I don't now think... Just don't watch that, it again. <laughs> well, I don't think it's as bad as I remember it being. Maybe in the 12 years, because it's been 12 years since I've seen it. Mm. Um, maybe in the 12 years, I've built up the badness. <laughs> Instead of building up the goodness, I've built up the badness. It is still a very, very self-indulgent film. But it's also just, it's so thin. The material is so thin. Oh, there's no plot. They... There's no plot. The girls drive around talking about men constantly. It's infuriating. Um, and how they're withholding sex and isn't it hilarious and all this stuff. It's like they're talk like in the Jackie Brown episode, we talked about how great she is as a character and yeah. how her dialogue isn't that jivey Quentin Tarantino dialogue yeah. and how awful it could have been. And then here's Death Proof, which is his own dialogue. And he's he's got all these women talking in a way that feels so like convoluted and indulgent and unrealistic. And I know that he is both sending up and um, kind of homaging, uh, homaging yeah, yeah, that genre of film. But it's not clever enough to actually do it um, in a clever way. It just no, does it's it, not. It's straightforward. But, but Planet Terror is. Yeah, exactly. And I know, I mean, it would be odd to not talk about Planet Terror mm-hmm. because they were They're meant to be, yeah, they, 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 you know, they go hand in hand. But I don't know, it's... It, should this film stand on its own without having its comparisons to Planet Terror? Is that when well, yeah, is that's... that when you start to see the uh, the virtues in this film? Um, or or maybe not the virtues, but you would appreciate it more when it's its own thing, not paired with Planet Terror. I want in the in the running order. Was it Planet Terror and then Death Proof? No, it was this. Oh wow, is this first? Yeah, because. Actually, that makes more sense because this is a 70s. Lot, yeah, it's like, and, and also it's quieter 80s. in terms of 
it it's it's big beats are big and exciting but they're very far apart yes there's a great wasteland between them and so going if you'd watch planet terror and then this you'd be like should we go home well i think i think i i don't know i think maybe in america things were i think they were released as a as no, no no together oh they were definitely and with all the trailers. And, they were definitely... You know. So it would be bizarre to watch this and then see the credits and then go, mm. well, what now? And yeah. then you see... Because you wouldn't wait till the end of the credits. People leave. Yeah. So it, it is a bizarre thing. It's bizarre that you bring up the idea that they just talk and talk and talk and talk and it's nothing. Mm. But that's what slasher movies are. This reminded me of Halloween. This reminded me of Friday the 13th. And you love these films mm. where it is talk, 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 talk for a good solid hour and then a final half an hour of running around being chased and killed. Yeah. But it's just bizarre that you don't like this film, but you have absolutely no problem with Because the scenes don't serve any narrative purpose, really. Like the purpose they serve is so small and it's like you could sum up what the scene is trying to achieve it could have done it in about four lines, but you've got like 400 lines around it. But he likes to hear himself talk. Yeah, and, and that's fine. They all I sound like him. Didn't in this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not defending it. Yeah, I'm I know. just saying it's bizarre because when I watch Halloween or when I watch Friday the 13th, I don't see any difference in this. There's, there's so mm. much dialogue in those films, Halloween and Friday the 13th. But they move. And yet, they move. They change locations. They change... But it's still you know, a lot of nonsense talking that doesn't serve the plot. Yeah. In Halloween, maybe a little bit more towards serving the plot, but but Friday the 13th, God no. Oh, Friday the 13th is trash. Yeah. Um, but but that also, the, the talk in Friday the 13th was building up the mystery and who's doing it and what's going on and stuff. But with this, it's just three friends hanging out one night, um, getting pissed, you know, prick teasing guys or getting yeah. let down by a guy over the text and stuff. And it, oh, that music made me laugh oh. <laughs> when, when she's on the text and, yeah. she's on, and you get that plinky plonky music. Yeah. It, I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I thought and it was hilarious. That, so it was 2007. Yes. Did we have that kind of phone still? Cause when, when did yeah, iPhone, iPhone came out that summer, 2007. Ah, Cause it looks they like watching at the time. I remember thinking, oh, so it's set now, but that's the phone that we have now. But then watching it now, 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 you look, it's like, oh, now it's really well, it takes on another, Yeah, it takes yeah. on another level. Yeah, I just, I found that the dialogue really irritating. Oh, and I can't it, remember it anything, they, anything no. they were speaking about. The only thing I remember is when uh, Stuntman Mike's past is brought into question, where the guy can't even remember if he was in the film or not. Oh, That's yeah. the only bit of, of dialogue that even makes me think yeah. that they're they're serving a, a mythology a plot yeah everything else is just chudder yeah it's i just, just got shite. i got so tired of the i just didn't understand why tarantino clearly a very intelligent filmmaker he knows these films inside out but maybe he knows them maybe he holds them with too much reverence so when he's got the i'm gonna um do a lap dance for the first guy who blah 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 it doesn't feel clever and, and reverential and knowing. It just feels as exploitative and ridiculous and redundant as it would have done in a 70s exploitation film. That was going to be my, one of my questions. Is this his most male gazy film? G-A-Z-E, oh, yeah. gaze, not G-A-Y-S. <laughs> That's a different kind of gay. Different kind of gaze. Um, I, it, 
is by virtue of the genre that he's working in. Yeah. He's not doing, he's doing it to fit a type of film. He's not doing it to actually utilize the male gaze. Yeah. Um, I just wish that it had been cleverer. I don't really know how he would have subverted it better. Yeah. I mean, he subverts it slightly by the end of a lap dance is actually like a, a cut scrub kind of thing where it goes and it goes yeah. into the, the car park, the parking lot. But it doesn't, <laughs> the dance still goes on for a long time and there's lots of handsy stuff going on. Oh, there's, there's arse, there's chest, yeah. there's leg... There's all, all the body. All of it. Yeah. He would have sold himself short if he didn't introduce the male gaze, but you're right, he didn't mm. do it in an intelligent way. In Planet Terror, with all the distortion, you know, when like a, uh, you know, if a film burns out and you actually see the film burning out in the projector. Like in Gremlins 2. Like in Gremlins 2. But Robert Rodriguez used that yeah. as a device in Planet Terror that when stuff starts going a bit crazy, as the stuff in the film gets crazier so do the effects get more and more intense mm. so he's actually tying it's a very intelligent way of doing it he's tying the narrative and the devices together mm. and the medium itself exactly yeah whereas with quentin tarantino oh my god isn't it great i put scratches on isn't it great i love it i love it i love it <laughs> So that's it, what it comes to. It's so shallow and it's mm. so transparent in, at the same time. It's like you can see what he's trying to do, but he's just delivering something that's equally as boring and insulting and irritating as the film. Watching those old films. Right. So yeah. it's like, why would you bother? Just, just re-release another old piece of crap. But is there anything wrong in objectifying the sex that you fancy? No, I suppose there isn't. No, that's a good point. Um, well, I mean... There's a limit. <laughs> in what respect? In the respect that you have to be respectful and understand that they are not an object. You're... Hashtag me too. Yeah, that one. She's so brave. So it's different when you're committing it to film. It's different when you are saying this is okay. I don't know. It's very, it's very interesting question. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I objectify men all the time and so do you. <laughs> We're yeah. constantly tweeting and texting about... Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Holland and other people. Yeah, but we're not doing it on public forum. Well, I objectify men in my photography. Yeah. I take photos of hot guys. I mean, it's all subjective. They're the ones that I find hot and I photograph Mm. them in a particular way. And they... And there's a... a, There's a... This is going to sound really artsy-farty because I'm not that artsy-farty. But... It's it, there is an energy that exists mm. on that kind of shoot when I actually find the person attractive. I'm more engaged in the shoot and I come up with really good stuff. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be all British about it. I'm going to be quite American. I'm not being humble. My stuff. I love is, it. I love it. I love it. I love you. I love you. I mean, I love it. But I feel my stuff and I have a better connection to shooting the guys who I actually feel attracted to because I'm shooting them in an attractive way the images yes. are meant to be attractive it's not porn they are portraits but they are a little bit titillating yeah but when i photograph people i don't fancy then sexually there's obviously a distance there mm. well they are also agreeing to be photographed they know what the all purpose is but these girls know exactly isn't... what Quentin tarantino was doing yeah it wasn't shot with secret cameras shot on film yeah those cameras are heavy take time to set up you've got to load them every half an hour or so well yeah they will have known the camera's not the girls his, his uh, <laughs> they would have known what his uh 
his agenda was, which yeah, was I'm making a grind exactly you know his aesthetic. From yeah. what I understand, he showed both casts, um, Planet uh, Terror and Death Proof, various films in his home cinema that they were homaging. Mm. And I think it was Freddie Rodriguez said, it's great he wants to do that, but my God, they were boring. Freddie Rodriguez? Yeah, from... Um, Oh, yeah, from Planet Terror. From Planet Terror, who uh, ended up in yeah. um, Ugly Betty yeah, and then yeah, yeah, has yeah. disappeared. If you know of Freddy's body, please <laughs> let the authorities know. His family are very worried. <laughs> <laughs> the one good thing about the women in the film and, the, and who they are and how they're portrayed is that it is extremely inclusive and diverse and the oh. women aren't skinny bean poles. No, they're not, especially they've the one their, that gives the... She's got her belly hanging out. Yeah, she's got a big you know, old... Well, not big old, but she's got a regular size, she's got, yeah. size 8, 10, 16, whatever it is. She's I got know. a little bit of cushion. <laughs> For the pushing. But she, but they're all, you know, they are black, Latina, white. So yeah, that's a great thing is, is the representation of this film is brilliant. And it didn't need to be, but it just is naturally. Yes. Um, which is great. And I but really his films are always quite inclusive. Yeah. They're not just about white people. Yeah. It's, yeah, he's very much about a blend of culture. Yeah, even like uh, next week we'll see when he can, he's able to schmice in a black person. Schmice, schmice. Is that a Jewish term? Uh, yeah, it just means like sneak in. Oh right, schmice in a black person into a film that is set in an era that was predominantly white. Yeah, okay. But we'll come on to that yeah. next week. And also, it, even though the girls do bang on about these guys that they're stringing along and how clever they are. Um, they are they are still women who obviously love each other and are, are great friends. Yes, and that's another positive about it. The camaraderie. Yeah, the camaraderie of it all. The crash is yeah, it's so gruesome and it's 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 unbearable at times. It's just and you get the it, tension. You get it three different ways. Yes, it's shocking. It's properly shocking. That leg flopping oh, it's down. The leg. That's the bit that I remembered because I hadn't seen this since it came out in two thousand and seven, mm. and the bit that I was waiting for was the leg. So every time I saw that she had a foot hanging out the window, I was like, get that leg in. You might survive. No. And the one gets her, her face oh my tired God. Yeah. Why does he want the girl in the car with him? Is it just another part of his sick That's his, yeah. That's experience. his. It, it's a slasher movie. It just so happens mm. that the car is the knife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. He's designed it. You know, you really need to be in my seat. Mm-hmm. It's death proof for him. Not for Rose McGowan. Yeah, really isn't. And that seat is so wobbly. She uh-huh. can't. She can't catch. You know, she can't get stable. Slams yeah. the brake on and then smashes her skull in. It's so horrible. But all the violence is towards women. Yeah, but then you get the revenge inverted commas at the end, which yeah. is the kind of the faster pussycat kill kill part of yes. the film. That's what Tarantino's going for. Is that yeah. genre? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. This should have been called Death Pussycat. It was called Lightning Bolt, wasn't it? No, yeah. Thunderbolt or something. Thunderbolt, something like that. Yeah. But then Death Proof gets put on as a um, a, a fake title card, which is not unusual, apparently. Films would have their titles changed and then they would just splice in like handwritten or or shit text. Yeah. You know that the the title comes from... Which one? Thunderbolt or Death Proof? Death Proof. I think it was Tarantino was buying, going to buy a car. And he was talking about, oh, I hope it's safe, blah, blah, blah. And the guy was like, oh, for ten or $15,000, I can make it death-proof for you. <laughs> wow. And Tarantino was like, aha, death-proof. Do you have sympathy for the girls? No, because I was so bored. I was so bored of them. Men. Oh, 
They're not characters, so no, I, I, well, I exactly, had zero not. sympathy. They're not, I there's like a weird kind of radio host girl who's on, on billboards, and then oh, the, um, Jungle, Jungle Julia. Julia, and then the, I thought it was Ulia. I didn't realize they were using one J to represent two. Jungle Ulia. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jungle Ulia. Um, no, I didn't really care. I felt bad for Rose McGowan because she had, a, a, she just felt like a proper victim. She was blonde and but nice and put Rose McGowan to one side and yeah. just consider her as Pam. 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 I felt bad for her because she went. She didn't know what. She was more aware of what was happening to her. The girls in the car. Oh, she, they couldn't, are, she couldn't stop it. She was trapped. She was trapped in there yeah. with him. And she she felt she saw it coming, whereas the girls in the car, they never saw it coming. No, they didn't. So I felt bad for her. I just... The thing about Death Proof is there's so many great bits in it yes. that are really fun, which is why you as a youngster probably were like, oh, I want to see it again. Youngster? As a youngster. I was 26. That's young. Oh. Um, it lures you back in because there's some really cool stuff in it, but then you just forget about all the really boring shit that happens as well. Yeah, if I could cut it down, it would be a 45 minute yeah. shoddy episode of, let's say, like a, a, a twin, not twin piece, a, a Twilight Zone style, yeah. like um, Tales to Offend kind of TV show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you make of Stuntman Mike? Great character. Great. Proper, the bad side of Snake Plissken. Well, Snake I mean, Plissken <laughs> is the bad side of Snake Plissken, let's be honest about that. And don't call him Plissken. Oh, yeah. Don't call me Shirley. Um, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he I, I thought it was such a great uh, character. And like he took the tropes of this genre. Yeah. And he kind of encapsulated those tropes as this scarred guy in a really cool car the only reason she's scared of him is because he's got a car he's the evil he's man with sense... no name but he has a name yes. you know what i mean he's the stranger that rolls in on the on the black horse and he's got a sense of humor he's like that's my mom's car yeah and like this is my book you know how people say you've got a book and yeah well, i got a book i got a book and how does this film hold up to action films of the same era of sort of the 2000s no the 70s oh I mean. I haven't seen a ton of action film from the 70s, so I couldn't really say. I I wouldn't say it's an action film either, though, because it's it's a slasher, like you said. It's a slasher mm. film. But so, there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of lot of fast driving and mm. stunt work with cars. Yeah, and it's cool. Very Smokey and the Bandit. It's like Dukes without, of Hazard. Yeah, but without the humour. And it's yeah. definitely not Man with the Golden Gun, where the car goes... <laughs> yeah. I think it really benefits from the fact that Zoe Bell is just playing herself. <laughs> when her name came up on the screen, I forgot she was called Zoe Bell. And I was like, Zoe Ball from Live and Kicking? <laughs> she's doing in this film? She does look a bit like her. Oh, kind Tall of. Tall and blonde. What? Female and white and blonde. Yeah. I, lo- I love the fact that it's real driving. Yes. It's real cars. Real sense of danger. Yeah, because when she gets on the on the... The hood of the car. The barnet. The barnet. You really, even though in uh, films where she has been a stunt person, like for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. Yes. You, even when their characters are put in perilous situations, there's that suspension of disbelief where you're like, it's fine, it's just a film. But then yeah. with this film, when she climbs out onto the hood, it's kind of, 
quite shocking and quite tense because you're like that's really her and she's on that hood (laughs) she may not be okay yes um and that's one of the bits that is so good in the film is when she's like being flung around on the hood what do they call it sailboating or something something yeah masting sail mast it's got some kind of weird boat term isn't it the lack of cgi at the time means that that is definitely real and it's shot in such a shot and edited in such a brilliant way you know we are with the cars we're not stood on the sidewalks watching them Mm. zoom by we are in the car we are on the bonnet we are over it we are right there moving at the same speed as the cars yeah and the cars are moving for real so the camera rigs are incredible because it's not shaky it's as smooth as it needs to be i never felt like i was watching through a camera i never felt like i was taken out of the movie yeah um in terms of sort of geography and placement I always knew what was going on. It didn't feel like Bayhem and it didn't feel like some of the Marvel movies where I just have to in, like disengage, wait until the end of the scene and see who's still alive. Yeah. The only bit that um, in a, it's like a brilliant visual that you can't really tell what's happening is when Stuntman Mike's car goes off the tracks and spins around in the dirt in the field and then you'd watch that massive great dust cloud come up and then suddenly he spins around and gets back on the road. But it's perfectly so great. they do. I mean, in one uh, shot. Purposely they do that. Yeah, it's so yeah. great. It's brilliant. The, there is a, a slight... I'm, I'm at two minds at this. The two cars are racing and they both sort of jump over this little verge. Hmm. In the 70s, that is a phenomenal start <laughs> yeah. because the two cars go and they sort of like... I don't know, 15 foot, they, they, they like, whoosh, and then land. Mm. By 2007, doesn't, that doesn't cut the mustard. So it yeah. does feel like a anticlimax to that moment. Mm. But I get that you can't suddenly introduce all these CGI elements because then you are negating the fact that you're making this as if you are in the 70s, which is yeah. what Quentin Tarantino was clearly doing. Yeah, you, he, he didn't break the rules in a lot of ways, including... Yeah the you know the huge dialogue scenes it's when the first half of the film is much more scratchy and homage yeah. to the grindhouse experience but then in the second episode i guess it is apart from the black and white there's a real lack of it yeah i remember at the time reading tarantino talking about how he loved the films in the grindhouse cinemas some of it would be scratchy and scuzzed up. Some of it, the color would knock out. Some of it, the sound would knock out. Then suddenly you'd get this perfect reel that looked fine. And he was really, he wanted to mix it up. And it does create a distinct um, separation between the first half and the second half of the yes. film. But actually it does rob the second half slightly of that aesthetic. It just suddenly becomes just a film. In, t- in 2007. Yeah, which is not it doesn't what feel want, the really. 70s. It doesn't feel like a 70s aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to Quentin Tarantino grammar. In this one, I think this is really his wheelhouse. Because Mm. not only is this film harking back to the era that he loves, the 70s, in references, it obviously looks like a film from the era that he loves. Yeah. So he's talking about Vanishing Point and Gone in 60 Seconds, not the Angelina Jolie shit. Yeah. But it wouldn't be the self-indulgent thing that it is if he didn't reference himself. Yeah. And he references himself in quite a big way in this film. Mm -hmm. The second car that the girls drive is colored like 
Uma the Pussy Thurman's uh, clothes, oh. which is obviously based on Bruce Lee's. And isn't it called jumpsuit. the Little Pussy? It's wagon. called the Little Pussy Wagon. Yeah. And then the ringtone is. Yeah. There's a bit in the hood, inside the hood of the car, rather than the trunk of the car. Yes, yes, I was so going to say that. that. Yeah. yeah, he flips that. The N word, obviously. Yeah. Can't yeah. do the N word. I can't can't do a Quentin Tarantino film without the N word. Mm-hmm. Might as well be his middle name. <laughs> Sassy, fast talkers with attitude. Yeah. Everyone's neck muscles just been so strong from all that. Mm, mm, mm. Side to side. Mm, side to side. Yeah. Click in a Z formation. <laughs> strong women. Strong, yeah. They, yeah. At the end, they beat up Kurt Russell. Yeah, they take yeah. the revenge. But even just throughout, you know, I wouldn't mess with Jungle Julia. Yeah. I wouldn't mess with the one who does the lap dance to that awesome song. True. Um, oh, this is one that he does. Um, and he, he hadn't done it since Pulp Fiction and he, and he did it in Reservoir Dogs. He does these fake composite shots where there is such deep depth of field. Mm. So normally if I put the camera, let's say I put the camera by, right by your face. Yeah. So your entire head um, is the entire right-hand side of the frame. Yeah. Because of the way lenses are built, I can't have anything past you in focus it would it would be out of focus yeah because by having the the camera so close to you and having you in focus it causes a shallow depth of field Mm -hmm. what he does is he'll shoot you let's say uh, on the right hand side of the frame and then you will be composited onto another shot which was shot without you and it's someone in the background in complete focus Mm. but it's done in such a way that it's clearly a composite and he did it in Reservoir Dogs, and he did it in uh, Pulp Fiction, and he's done it again here because it's an aesthetic and it absolutely works. Mm. I think it's a genius choice. But isn't that is a lot of other films have done that as well? Like, isn't it like a real Western type shot? Yes, and you've got like a sweating person in the in the foreground, and then someone swaggering in the background. But it's a it's like a a staple of nineteen seventies cinema mm. it was that kind of composite when you yeah. actually probably had to cut someone out and stick yeah stick on and then huh. smudge the edges just yeah. ever so slightly it, it looks like it, a lens blur but it's not it does you just can't get those kind of shots in camera yeah but i thought i thought it was gorgeous um quentin tarantino's cameo he's given himself another role yeah looking first a lot one since um pop fiction. fiction looking a lot older than he did in pop fiction because he was because it's been 13 years 13 years yeah, yeah. filled out a little bit yeah Awesome songs. Down Just in Mexico. Down in Mexico. Yeah, Down in Mexico yeah. by the Coasters. One of Quentin Tarantino's favourite songs, apparently. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and one of his rarest, I think. Like, it, it, he dug it out of somewhere unbelievable. <laughs> like where? I don't know, but he found it somewhere. I don't believe it. Yeah. So unbelievable. Yeah. Hold Tight by Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mitch and Titch. That's like a tongue twister challenge. Thank you. Yeah. And Chick Habit by April March, which was also in But I'm a Cheerleader. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I've not seen that in a long time, but it's such a good film. My friend Lee loves it. Oh. So when I when I played him a little bit over uh, WhatsApp, he was like, from I'm a Cheerleader? Oh. I was like, no, I'm watching Death Proof. With a uh, with Russian Doll. Oh, yeah. yeah. Russian Doll. Russian Doll. Hey, what are you going to do? Um, Big Kahuna Burger and Red Apple Cigarettes. Yes. They're the his, Tarantino brands. Yes. His, there uh, and there. His branding. It does bust one big Tarantino, what's it called, grammar thing. Yeah. 
Um, he, this is one of the first, or this is the first Quentin Tarantino film that is actually in chronological order. No flashbacks, no jumping around. It goes from start to finish and you follow it all the way through that way. Yes. Which actually might be why the dialogue feels so... Stale. Kind of stagnant and isn't really doing anything because it's not being juxtaposed by something a bit random later that makes you feel like something more is going on. Well... No, because the dialogue is terrible. But, <laughs> I mean, I see... I, I, see got, I told him to leave. I told him to get out and but leave. I see the flaws. Um, apart from the, the, the seeing the crash over and over and over again, yeah. that's the only time that it deviates. But you're right. It's all chronological. Yeah, you're completely right. Even Jackie yeah. Brown plays around in its third act. It suddenly becomes a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, because it's all about the heist. The accident thesis does not hold water here. Well, it's a car accident. But it's not an accident. Oh, he doesn't purpose. Yeah. Yeah. He purposely does it because his car is death-proof. You've really got to be in this scene. How did you feel about the fact that Kurt Russell suddenly turns into this, like, weeping victim at the end? Well, he's a bully. All bullies are miserable little shits, cowards on the inside. He realised he'd met his match. Hmm. Realised he'd met his match. I couldn't tell if he was just pretending. No, he was... He seemed pretty pretty scared mm. they shot him he wasn't expecting that yeah he's used to preying on girls praying <laughs> praying jesus and the church says amen So that was Death Proof, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Joshua, give us a clue as to next week's. I would tell you what the title is, but I would probably have to get censored because it's got a kind of a swear word in it. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and TuneIn Radio so you don't miss an episode. We are on the Twitter sphere at Torn Stubbs Pod. We have kitten pictures, we have Tarantino, we have polls, we have lots of stuff basically happening online. It is so happening. And if you like middle-aged hipsters talking about music, go and listen to Track by Track, the Trash Music Podcast. That's in all your usual podcatcher locations. We're off down to Mexico. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.
baby. Come with me. Ah, we can watch the wolf fight. 